Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. What I admire the most about kids is their questioning nature. When a child first learns the word why, he or she can't really seem to unlearn it. Time to go to bed. Why? Because I said so. Why? Because I'm in charge. Why? Those are the small why questions, but eventually we get to the big ones. Why are we here? Why am I alive? Why did God create us? I still recall the first hopeless answer I ever got to that question. It was my first semester of college, and we read a British philosopher by the name of Bertrand Russell. Man, he said, is nothing but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. Why are we here? We are here, he said, because of a molecular accident. A hopeless answer to the why question indeed. But then again, many people throughout history have given such an answer. In fact, had you been born in the ancient Near East around 1200 B.C., just before the book of Genesis was written, your world would have been very hopeless. There were many gods, or so it was believed, and they were all at war. And so as a kid, you probably asked your parents why the gods created you. After all, there's not a kid in the world that doesn't ask that question. But every answer had a similar ring of hopelessness. We were created because the gods were bored. We were created because the gods were lonely. We were created because the gods were lazy and they needed free labor. In other words, if you were born in the ancient Near East, there was no why. It was into this horribly hopeless world that these words were first written. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and saw that it was good. And then the kicker, so God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. In other words, what we have in today's reading from Genesis is an answer to that big why question that still has the power to revolutionize our world and our society. Why are we here? Why are we alive? Why did God create us? We were created to reveal God. We were created to reflect God. We were created to image God. You see, contrary to the polytheistic beliefs of its time, 
where many gods existed and all were at war, jockeying for power. The Bible reveals a suprapersonal loving God, a God that has three distinct persons, but who is also too unified to be more than one. And of course, I am talking about the Trinity, that doctrine that says that the God we worship is, in essence, a perfect community of love. And what our reading from Genesis reveals is that it was this God, this perfect and unified relationship of divine love that created both us and our world with intentionality and purpose. As Genesis 1-1 tells us, God created, which we attribute to the work of the Father. And in verse 2, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters, the same language the Gospels use to talk about the Holy Spirit hovering over the water at Jesus' baptism. And finally, Genesis 1-3 tells us that God creates by speaking God's word. And of course, in the Gospel of John, we learn that this word is expressed fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Meaning that from the very outset of our sacred story, we find a triune God, a perfect relationship of creative love. And then, just a few verses later, we are told that we're a creation of this love. We were not created because God is bored. We were not created because God is lazy. We are not a molecular accident. No, you and I exist because at the heart of all reality is this wonderful and dynamic life that we call the Trinity. And because this God is generous and kind and good, he chose to create us to be what Karl Barth called a parable of his own life. Meaning that we were created to reveal God, to reflect God, to mirror God back to the creation and to each other. But there is a catch. Because God is a perfect community, what that means is that it is impossible for any one person or any one church or any one race or any one nation or any one political party to reflect God, to image God alone. Because if God is a perfect community where both unity and difference exist, and if that's true, and if it's also true that we were created to reflect this God and not some other God, what that means is that the doctrine of the Trinity is not just an intellectual challenge, it's an ethical challenge. Because to the extent that we affirm that the ground of all being is a perfect society of love and that our isness is that root grounded in and derived from that perfect love, 
that's going to challenge how we relate to other people who share that same grounding in divine love as we do. And as a society, I know that is something that we are all struggling with at the moment. In fact, I think something we can just name without judgment or shame or moral scolding is that we are not at this moment collectively mirroring back the Trinity to creation or to one another. We have been very quick to speak and slow to listen. We have acted from a place of fear and we have all made ungenerous assumptions about at least one person. And I say that not to stir up shame or judgment, both of which only serve to exasperate disconnection and misunderstanding, but rather because if history is any indicator, societies from time to time will go through a rough patch. And we are in one now. But of course, all things come and go, and then they come back, and then they go again. And one way or another, this moment, the present difficulty, is part of the dynamic unfolding of providence that we call life. And we just happen to be in a rough patch right now. And rather than resisting that or fighting it, I think our work as the people of God is to see it clearly, to be curious about what we see happening in our society, to learn from it, to be humbled by it, to not get swept away in a frenzy so that we can calmly and courageously return to why it is God created us. And Trinity Sunday makes that abundantly clear. We were created for love, for lasting and satisfying relationships marked by trust, diversity, vulnerability, humor, and care. And at the end of the day, this is the commission we are given. Go, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that Greek word translated baptize, it doesn't just mean to immerse in water. The Greek word also means to overwhelm. And in the Bible, to do anything in someone else's name means to do it with their character. And I think that might change how we see the Great Commission at this moment. It's not just about the sacrament. It's about the quality of our relationships. Go, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations by overwhelming them with the character of the Father by overwhelming them with the character of the Son, by overwhelming them with the character of the Holy Spirit, by overwhelming them with the quality of your love. Because people are desperate for an answer to those big why questions, especially right now. Why are we here? Why are we alive? What is the point why did God create us? And what I want to suggest today 
is that the most compelling answer we can offer as a church has less to do with what we say than it does with how we live. The Trinity is far more of an ethical challenge than it is an intellectual one. When we jockey for power and position, when we use criticism or sarcasm or judgment to place ourselves on one side of the aisle and someone else on the other, when we are more invested in our ideology than we are the people who disagree with our ideology, we are not imaging the Trinity. But it's when we form deep, vulnerable, and nonviolent relationships. It's when we invest in someone we don't know. It's when we extend forgiveness and grace to people who very well might not deserve it. These are the moments that we reflect God most clearly, the moments that we mirror love back to each other and to the creation. There is nothing accidental about your existence or about your life. It is filled with meaning and with beauty and with significance. And the whole thing rests on the foundation of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Life, humanity, creation, existence, it is a beautiful thing. And what an opportunity we have to know that beauty, to be that beauty, and to reflect that beauty back to the world. Amen.